Bienvenidos from Poder Media. This is Poder Podcast. I am your host, Sergio Lagunas. This podcast features powerful stories from artists, influencers, and community leaders. On today's episode, we feature Brisca Dorcas Mojica Rodriguez, a Nicaraguan storyteller. She is the owner and founder of Latina Rebels. She is also author of Four Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts, a love letter to women of color. Welcome, Prisca, to Poder Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Let's begin with your origin story. Tell me about yourself. I was born in Managua, Nicaragua in 1985 when the U.S. placed an embargo on my country because we were winning our revolution against the president that the U.S. had put in power. So there's not a lot of pictures of me. There wasn't access to formula at the time. Like a lot of things were really difficult. And that was like baby Prisca. <laughs> uh, in 92, we came to the U.S. So I was seven years old. We came because my dad's a musician. He's like from four or five generations of musicians. He can listen to anything and play it immediately. He knows all the notes. He doesn't need more than one take to do like Mozart. It's like wild. And he became Christian when we were in Nicaragua. He converted to Christianity from Catholicism. And he was so talented, he started getting a lot of attention. <laughs> and so in our church, he was like, you know, el director de alabanzas y adoración really quick. <laughs> and and then because of that, they brought him to the U.S. The churches that we were part of were both in the U.S. and in Latin America. It's a Latino church. He became a pastor for all the music ministry wide, like North America, South America. We got flown to the U.S. on a religious visa that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> we outstayed our visa. It was a white founded church. So Gospel Outreach came and started that church that blew up in Latin America. A lot of those people had connections and money. And so we got our residency, and I think within a year of moving to the U.S. So I we moved to Miami. Miami's a mostly Latinx city, and the area that we moved to is called Sweetwater, which is called Pequeña Nicaragua. I grew up with the same foods that were in Nicaragua. A lot of people were in Nica. Uh, like nothing changed. I used to say we just got AC. I grew up, I was raised there. I was raised really conservative, really Christian. My goals for life were, were to be married. That was like a really big thing that was like ingrained in me. Like my ability to be a mom and my ability to be a, someone's wife was like really everything I thought about. And so by the time I got to like junior year of high school, I was like, oh wait, like what? <laughs> am I doing? Uh, and I ended up going to college instead. Then I went to grad school and I studied, I got my master's in theology specifically. That's what a master's of divinity is. Because I wanted to find answers to how I grew up. Because I would ask my parents, why don't you think women and men are the same? What kind of God would kill people? Or what kind of, and they would be like, "What? no, we don't talk about that. We don't question God. <laughs> and so I went and tried to find answers. When I got there, I didn't realize I would find a lot more. I started learning terms like toxic masculinity. I'd never heard that before. <laughs> Colorism. It was all part of what happens when bad things happen to good people. That's like a section in seminary. You start jumping into ethics. I didn't know that that was part of seminary education. And when they started explaining, like, it's systemic, it has to do with racism. It, has, it was like giving language to my whole life. 
when I graduated, I just mostly was upset that it took a lot of outsmarting systems for me to end up there. And I knew how many people had the potential to learn at that level, to hear all this information. It's hoarded and it's not meant for us. And it's not, we're, we're not even meant to feel welcomed when we're in those institutions. So I was like, I'm going to take everything I learned. And I'm just going to start talking about it. <laughs> I'm going to make memes about it. I'm going to find gifts about it. I'm going to write stories about it. But there's no way that that information stays away from us. Now that I have it, it's my gospel now. I was taught as a little girl to convert people to Jesus. <laughs> and now as an adult, I'm like, no, I want to help people free themselves because that just comes natural. Wow. So you are obviously a natural storyteller. Can you tell us more about how you found yourself loving storytelling? Church. Once you turn 12, you stop being allowed to be in Sunday school in church. At least my church is. <laughs> you have to sit in Las Predicas since you're 12. And it is a lot. And you get, you, you start to realize some people are really good and some people suck. If the sermon's popping, people go and bring dollar bills, $5 bills, $20 bills to the pulpit. Yeah. And the pulpit gets full of cash and the ushers will come and put it in buckets. People were trying to get to that place. Like God speaking through you in a way that's magical. That's the whole tradition. So everybody brings their thank you for your message. And so like it became a competition to me. I was like, oh, is this sermon going to make it? Like, is this going to be the, the one that breaks it? Because it was exciting when it happened but it didn't happen a lot and yeah even the way my cadence like there's a me mommy tells me to get out the sun me mommy tells me to put on sunblock I have this part in colorism this section and I just keep repeating that mantra as I'm telling the story that's all Pentecostal church sermons <laughs> charismatic church like lived it breathed it I find it fascinating and I, I love practicing the stories too I like trying new angles to it. It's it's an art <laughs> and I get to do it all the time and get better every day. It's fun. Speaking of great stories to tell and writing for your audience, how did you decide you wanted to write your book? For those who don't know, Briska wrote For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts, a love letter to women of color. I did not think I was going to write a book ever. Even up until the moment that I signed my contract and had to actually start writing the book, I was like, oh my God, I'm writing a book. What am I going to write? It happened like fast. In 2015, I started writing captions and doing gifts and, you know, all that stuff on Latina Rebels. And through that, within months, the Huffington Post reached out and was like, you need to write for us. Come write for us. So it was May 2015 when I graduated and fully committed to kind of put my time on Latina Rebels. August is when the Huffington Post reached out. I started writing for them September, but my first viral piece was November. And after that, I started getting booked for universities. People were calling for me to write for them. So I was writing full time. It was the wildest ride of my life. I've been trying to keep up with what's been happening. Uh, I was writing full time until 2017. And then my literary agent sent me a DM and was like, I'd love to help you write a book. And I was like, sure, whatever. And I took a meeting with him and I ended up signing with him. But I didn't think anything was going to come of it. I wrote a book proposal, but it took me two years to write it. So you sell a book either as a full manuscript or you do a book proposal. And a book proposal is kind of like a pitch, like a business plan. And you outline your ideas and you talk about yourself and your followers. 
And right now, I think I can write a book proposal in about three hours if I'm really focused. It took me two years. That's how much I didn't believe that the process was real. I was like, okay, sure. So I'm still traveling full time, still writing for different publications. And in 2019, I finished the book proposal and he sent it out one day and I got a phone call and he was like, I sent out your proposal like a few weeks ago. You have five publishers who are interested. We're going to go to auction with it. And I was like, what? (laughs) I mean, who starts writing and in four years has a book deal? It doesn't feel real. I'm not a writer like by passion of like, I don't know, I've always written stuff. I'm a writer out of like necessity. Well, you, you mentioned about your educational background. Would you say there is a connection between that and your current role? I think a lot about the work that I do as Mujerista Theology. One of the tenets of Mujerista Theology is that it's accessible to people who don't have access to elite spaces of education specifically. I wear that with a lot of pride, even though I don't constantly talk about it because it's such a, who knows what Mujerista Theologies are? You know, so it's not a thing that I talk about, but it's a thing that I think is integral. What would you say is your overall message from your book? To find community. I mean, it's really community based at the end of it. It's really to change minds is the initial thing. But once you're there, you need people around you. You need people to hold you accountable. You need to be intentional about your communities and that we need each other is the ultimate message. I want to follow up with a question regarding the Latinx community. What would you say right now is the most important issue affecting the community? I think anti-Blackness is a real thing we don't want to address enough. There's a certain part of Latinidad that has kind of been able to have access to money, have access to resources, just have a different pathway in the U.S. And it has a lot to do with being as white as possible (laughs) in our communities. And I think we don't talk about that enough. And I think that we get caught up in representation without seeing exactly who's on it because we are racially diverse communities. So we don't analyze exactly why all of our actresses who are successful are the lightest skin and have blonde hair. Like, we don't talk about that enough. So... I think we need to talk about all the anti-Blackness and we really need to have big conversations. In regards to your lived experience and your current goals that you have in mind, what are your top three values? Some people narrow their values down to maybe three words. What would you say are your top three words that signify what you value most? It's probably accountability, honesty, and community. I don't know if that's a value, but those are three things that I think are really important in how I move through the world. I have a lot of really deep friendships. I talk about this in the book. Once you've heard your chains rattle, you can't unhear it. Once you realize all the things that you've been taught about heteronormativity, what we value, romantic love over platonic love, and this compulsory heterosexuality, you start to question the depth of your friendships. And you're like, is this someone I actually know? Is this somebody I actually enjoy? Is this somebody that I'm growing with? Can we challenge each other? When you hurt me, will I have the ability to communicate that to you or resent you? And the other way around, and even just language, and we're getting access to so many things and becoming aware of so many things. Like, 
what are your values? Like, do you think uh, we should talk about racism? Do you, what do you do to be accountable? Having people who can show up and really live life with you and not in opposition to you takes a lot of accountability. Speaking of sharing very personal values and your lived experience, could you share with us your source of motivation? Essentially, what is your source of poder? So the book is called For Brown Girls with Sharp Edges and Tender Hearts. I use the word girl throughout the whole book. I am often talking to my reader as a girl. And my editor had like a huge issue with it because it feels like infantilizing to the feminist movement. But my case was that's who I write for, though. Sometimes we're like the meanest to ourselves as adults. Like my who, how I talk to myself, who I am, is just really mean. And a lot of the healing that I've had to do has been learning to talk to eight-year-old Priscilla. I, that's who I think about when I'm writing. That's who I, th- I think I think of the child version of all of us because we needed someone to love us and we needed our families to end generational traumas. We we needed all that like to for our mommies to say the right thing when things were, you know, when you got made fun of for being brown in school or whatever. But they missed it or maybe they just didn't have the access to know what it was. I speak to that little girl. I'm like, you deserve everything. You're so beautiful. You're so smart. That's the motivation. Yes, a lot of us do experience childhood trauma. And yeah, we usually have to speak to that little boy, that little girl. I'm happy that you chose that for your book. So you shared a lot about your origin story, about your source of poder, and I'm really grateful for that. What would you say are your current goals or projects or your vision for the next few years, if you could share that with us? I'm working on my next five books. I hope to have them all out before I'm 40. That's a goal. I'm pitching a TV show right now based on this first book. I'm just trying to find different mediums to reach people with the same kind of education. But what does it look like if it's written in a cookbook for the señoras who aren't going to pick up my book right now? Like to insert that messaging while like giving a bomb nakatamale recipe or just a TV show, something that'll make people think, something that people can binge, something that will entertain people. But I just want to shift conversations around race, around identity, around Latinidad and whatever that looks like. I want to be out there and I want to be busy. What would your last words for our audience be? Any words of wisdom you'd like to share? I think that we spend a lot of time blaming ourselves for what systems of oppression have done to us and on our experiences. I think that if you remember anything about me, just remember that you're doing just what you need to do. (laughs) You're doing it well. If it's being executed in the ways that you don't want, people have bad weeks, people have bad months, people have bad years. Give yourself a lot more grace than what you're giving yourself. How can people connect with you and access your book? It's anywhere books are sold for brown girls with sharp edges and tender hearts. And I'm on at Prisca Dorcas everywhere except TikTok. I'm the, at the real Prisca Dorcas because somebody took my username. <laughs> and at Latina Rebels everywhere. But yeah, I'm online. It's fun out there. Thank you once again, Prisca, for joining on Poder Podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Poder Podcast, the podcast con poder. 
This is Sergio Lagunas. Music is produced by Brian Abarete. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or on your favorite app. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Poder Podcast.